Amen. Well, it's good to see everyone here this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Mark chapter 12 this morning. Turn to Mark chapter 12. As you're turning there, let me thank you. Um, I know I've heard again this morning the parking lot is very tight. Uh, Thank you for those of you who have been serving as parking lot attendants. Thank you for those of you who have been paying attention and helping the car parking attendants uh, as they go about and do their ministry. Of uh, when I was uh, in college, I was a part of that ministry. We called ourselves CPAs, car parking attendants. It's as close as I ever got to an accounting degree. Um, but uh, but thank you. Uh, and I mentioned my email. Hopefully, you got this week. We know it's tight. It was not. So going into this winter, we thought, well, we're launching a new campus, and you know, next year. Uh, Let's keep it at one service. What are the chances we're going to get so much snow that it'll affect our parking lot? Um, Who knew it would be the worst winter maybe ever? Um, So we lost quite a few parking spaces. We're trying to deal with that. Uh, We know now if we're running these numbers and winter comes, we have to go to two services. We understand that. Um, But thank you for helping us make it through what was a tough winter and uh, being patient with us. I think in the next few weeks, we'll be out of the woods and uh, we should be okay with our parking. Um, But if we're not and God grows us, we'll deal with it then too. That's okay. Uh, We'll deal with that. That's a good problem to have. But... uh, Thank you for those of uh, you who have been helping us with that. This morning I want to talk to you about know what you know. And uh, let me start out by saying that sometimes, here's what I mean by that, sometimes you don't know what you're saying no to. I don't know if you've had that happen in your life, but there are some times where an opportunity comes along maybe, or someone presents something to you and, and you say no And you think you know what you're saying no to, but later on you realize you really didn't know what you were saying no to. Uh, Let me me tell you a story to kind of illustrate what I mean. Uh, Some of you may remember a gentleman that uh, attended church here for a long time, Louis Duyon. And uh, Louis uh, was, and his family attended here for many, many years and just last year moved down to Florida. And he had kind of a unique job, Louis. He was the head of our greeting ministry here, which was his most important job. But uh, for much of the week, he was also the head doorman at the Four Seasons in Boston, uh, which was maybe a little more interesting job for him. And he's also, he works at the Four Seasons in Orlando now, and uh, he's a great guy, and we miss Louie and his family. One of the benefits of uh, working at the Four Seasons, is, I suppose, is some of the things, the people that come through and the people that you meet, and the different types of sporting teams that come through and things like that. And one thing that would happen is every Labor Day, uh, there's a golf tournament that happens here in Massachusetts every Labor Day, the uh, D- Deutsche Bank Open at the TPC in Norton. And uh, apparently there aren't uh, accommodations fitting enough in Norton for most of the tour uh, player golfers. Uh, they want to stay someplace else, and many of them stay at the Four Seasons in Boston. And so Louis gets to meet them and see them, and the Four Seasons gets passes uh, to the tournament. And so a few years ago, Louis called me up and he said, Pastor Rick, I know you love golf, and hey, I've got some passes for the Saturday, uh, you know, tour tournament at uh, the TPC in Norton. Would you like them? And I have been to a couple golf tournaments in the past, and this is, if you haven't been to a professional golf tournament, this is how it usually goes. You get in your car on a beautiful summer day when other people are golfing and you go and you sit in traffic to find your way to an off-site parking lot because golf courses never have enough parking to accommodate the number of people coming to a tournament. You get to an off-site parking lot. They put you, you wait there for a shuttle to the golf course. You eventually get to the golf course. You try and find your way around a place you have never been before, and there aren't really maps. It's not like Disneyland, where they're designed for all these crowds and everything. And you, try, and you eventually find yourself to a spot where you're probably standing six or eight people deep, uh, in my case, looking over people. So I try and look for a route to stand on or something. And maybe you get to see a few minor golfers. If you're lucky, one of the big names will walk by. 
and then you leave the course with a sunburn, your wallet quite a bit lighter, and, and make your way to the shuttle and home. And it can be a nice experience, but that's what I had in my mind. And that's what I thought I was saying no to when Louis invited me. And I thought, you know what? It's a beautiful summer day on a Labor Day weekend. I'm probably just going to go to the beach. I'm probably going to hang out by the water. You know, thanks, Louie, but, you know, I'm not going not gonna to make it. So I said no. I think he called Pastor Brian next. And Pastor Brian, with probably some similar thinking in his mind, also said no. And then he called Bill Sullivan, and he asked Billy if he wanted to go. And Billy said, sure, I'll go. And, uh, and, and Louis said to Billy, well, well, don't drive down to the course. Come to the Four Seasons first. So this is, so later after that week, Pastor Brian and I asked Bill, we said, well, how did it go? He said, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> so I pulled up to the Four Seasons. And they opened my door and they say, welcome, Mr. Sullivan. We've been expecting you. Why don't you make your way up to the restaurant? There's a buffet waiting. <laughs> Bill said there were three people in the room and the buffet was 100 feet long. And all he did was eat all he wanted of this beautiful meal that was prepared. And then it was time to go to the tournament, so he made his way down to the lobby, but his car wasn't there. Instead, there was a limo there. <laughs> Mr. Sullivan, would you like to ride in the limo? And he ride, gets in the limo. Rides down to Norton, to the TPC at Norton, to the golf course. Doesn't ride to a satellite lot to take a shuttle. Drives up to the player's entrance. <laughs> Drops him off beside the putting green. Mr. Sullivan, enjoy your day at the golf tournament. Gets out of the car, right in the putting green. There's Phil Mickelson taking his putts. Well, Phil's a lefty. He takes his putts this way. But taking his putts, Bill says, Phil, this is your day. Phil gives him a wave and goes on to win the tournament. I think it was all due to Bill. Gets to the golf course. Bill's hungry. He doesn't have to go buy food. No, there's a whole spread there that his pass gets him into. That he enjoys all the food and drinks that he wants that day. He gets into all the places he wants to get to. Sees the tournament. Sees all the players. And then at the end, goes back to the limo. Limo drives, not the way everyone else is driving out, stuck in traffic, goes out the player's exit, straight onto the highway, right back to the Four Seasons, gets to the Four Seasons, there's his car, right out front, running, all ready to go, air conditioner going, bottles of water in the, in the, in the car, Mr. Sullivan, it's been great having you, have a wonderful day. moral of that story is if Louie invites you someplace, do not say no. Sometimes we don't know what we're saying no to. We think we're saying no to a hot day in the sun and a miserable day sitting in traffic and we may be saying no to a first class treatment at a golf tournament. Who knows? Sometimes we don't know what we're saying no to. I suppose one person like that, uh, another person that comes to mind in this might be a man named Joe Green. You may know a Joe Green, but you probably don't know the Joe Green I'm thinking about. Joe Green was roommates with Mark Zuckerberg at Harvard. They started a little thing called Face Mash. And uh, uh, Joe Green's father, who was a professor at UCLA, said, oh, don't get involved with that Zuckerberg guy. He's not going anywhere. Joe Green was asked by Zuckerberg to be a uh, chief officer in Facebook when they changed the name, and he said no. Uh, that no, he later calculated, probably cost him about $2 billion. Sometimes we don't know what we're saying no to. Sometimes we say no to things and we don't realize what we're saying no to. Maybe it happens to you on a smaller scale. Maybe at work your boss comes to you and asks you what seems like a rather innocuous question. Maybe something like, hey, what do you think about, you know, traveling? Or, hey, what do you think about changing your schedule or changing your office? And, and you say, oh, no, no, I don't think I'd be interested in that. And 
You just think you, you know, dodged a bullet by avoiding a winter trip to Kansas or something like that. And only later find out, he was trying to find out if you'd be interested in a great promotion in the company. And sometimes we don't know what we're saying no to. Sometimes we say no to things and we don't realize what we're saying no to. But the truth is, on situations like this, we need to cut ourselves some slack. The truth is, none of us knows the future. So we can hardly be responsible for all of the things that could have happened. But what about when you should know what you are rejecting and you're just too distracted to see it? What if there are times in your life when getting it right doesn't involve predicting the future but simply paying attention? What if you miss out on the greatest opportunity of your life, not because you weren't smart enough to predict what would happen, but simply because you thought at the time you were making a better choice? I think that's sometimes the situation we can find ourselves in, and especially sometimes when it comes to our spiritual lives and following Jesus that sometimes we can find ourselves in a situation where we are making a decision and saying no to something that we should be saying yes to. And it's not that we have to predict the future to know what's going to happen. It's just that we have to pay attention and listen to what God is saying. In our passage this morning in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, we have a parable of Jesus. And we have some people that we find are saying no to something that is very valuable and I don't think they realize what they're saying no to. Uh, I'm going to read this parable. I'm not going to put all the text on the screen for you because it's a parable. It's a story. I want you to hear it and listen to it. Uh, you can follow along and read it if you want or you can just listen as I read it. A parable is a story that was told that has a truth to it. It's not completely allegorical in the sense that we know allegories where every, there's a one-to-one -one comparison of everything in there. But a parable runs parallel to life. It runs parallel to a truth. And it contains a truth that we are supposed to hear. And Jesus, in this passage, is speaking a parable to some religious leaders while he's ministering in the temple in Jerusalem. So I mentioned last week, all of the rest of the book of Mark takes place in and around Jerusalem. Most of it takes place in and around the temple. This is probably, by Mark's account, Tuesday of Holy Week. Um, and he is having this interaction with the religious leaders. They have just tested him, trying to trick him. And they'll do that again in some other passages that are coming up. Um, but Jesus first gives them a parable. And he says this. Mark writes, He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat. Others they killed. He had one left to send. A son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. Then they, that's those religious leaders that I mentioned, looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. 
But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. This parable of Jesus, I believe, connects to this thought of knowing what you're saying no to. I think in this parable, we see the truth of what's going on with the vineyard and the vineyard workers. We see the truth of what Jesus is trying to teach these religious leaders. But there's a truth in there for us that we also need to hear this morning. And it has to do with this, the idea of knowing what you're rejecting and why you're rejecting it. Let me just look at the parable for a moment. The goodness of the vineyard owner. So in this parable, you probably figured it out, the vineyard owner represents God. Uh, the servants that went out to collect the, the, the harvest, those are the prophets that God had sent to his people. And of course, his son is Jesus. And so, the vineyard owner that represents God was extremely generous and good. I mean, look at what he did. He planted the vineyard himself. He plowed the ground. He put in the vines. He did everything that was necessary for them to grow and bring forth a harvest. He built a wall around the vineyard to protect from enemies and animals. He built a watchtower so that people could be up there and see the enemies coming from far away. And then he dug a wine press, which would have been one large tub where grapes could be crushed with a large vat below it where the juice would run down. And it was a lot of work, but he did it. And he rented it out to some workers. And he said, all you have to do is pay me part of the harvest. He was good. He was generous. But not only was he good and generous, but he was patient. Think about it. When the first servant got beaten and came back with nothing, the vineyard owner was well within his rights to kick them out of the vineyard and to demand restitution and payment, not only for the money that they owed him, but for the servant that they had injured. He would have been well within his rights to press criminal charges, but he didn't. He sent another servant, and another, and another, and another. He was extremely patient. And they beat them, and they killed them, and they didn't pay. And yet his patience persisted. I mean, the analogy is not hard to make. God would have been fully within his rights when sin first entered the human race to have nothing further to do with humanity. But he didn't. He sent servants prophets to share his love and to share his word to call men and women to repentance and many of those prophets were beaten and killed and he sent another and another and another until there were none left but his son and then he sent his son and they killed him and here's the thing the vineyard owner he didn't need the money. I mean, if he did, he could have sent these servants that he got killed. He could have sent them to work the vineyard and got all the money. It wasn't that he was too weak to defend himself because at the end of the story, we know he goes and handles justice and kills all the workers. It was because he was patient. It was because he was loving that he waited and waited and waited. He did all he could to give them every opportunity to pay up, to make right, to allow them to work. And yet they continued to kill and harm the servants and not pay him. Why? The answer to that question, I think, is the whole point of the parable. Why did they kill the servants? Why did they kill the son? Why wouldn't they just pay the vineyard owner who was good, generous, gracious, patient, I mean, wouldn't you want to work for a boss like that? I mean, if your boss was generous and set you up for success in every single part of your job, all you had to do was if you just did your job the way you, you were going to succeed greatly. That's what these workers were set up for. Wouldn't you love that position? A boss who was patient with you when you made errors and when you made mistakes. Who wouldn't want to work there? And yet, they rejected it. 
So why did they reject it? I think the answer why they rejected it is the same answer why the religious leaders were rejecting Jesus and it's the same answer why people reject Jesus today. It's the same answer to why we sometimes say no to things we should say yes to. The answer to it is found in chapter 12, verse 7. When he says, but the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Here's the answer. The answer to it is this. Because the vineyard workers didn't like the idea of being stewards. They wanted to be owners. The reason they killed the servants. The reason they wouldn't pay. The reason that they killed the son is because they didn't like being stewards. They wanted to be owners. They didn't like the idea that they were indebted to someone else and they thought we want to own this field. They wanted to be owners. And so they thought if we kill the son, then we'll inherit the land. They didn't realize the father was still alive. And so they wanted to be owners and not stewards. And this is the reason they rejected the goodness of the vineyard owner. I think it's the same reason that the religious leaders rejected Jesus. The scripture that Jesus quotes, Psalm 118, says this about the stone. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone, or your translation might say the cornerstone. What that means is these religious leaders, what they were doing is they were saying, you know, this Jesus guy, he's worthless. You know, we, we're just rejecting him. We're putting him out. He's not important. It's the same way a builder who's building something important might come to a stone and he'd say, you know what? This one is not worthwhile. It's not going to be part. We're just going to throw, throw this one in the trash heap. And later it becomes either the cornerstone or the capstone. The Greek can be translated either way. A cornerstone would be obviously significant because as you lay a cornerstone that sets the building plumb and level in, in, in two directions and that's the stone in which you build the building off of. But a capstone of an arch is equally significant. If you look at the front of your bulletin, you can see that there's an arch there of sorts of stones if you were to remove that center stone right out of the middle, the whole arch falls down. That's the capstone. It's similar. It could be either way that Mark's translating it. What Mark is saying and the quote from what Psalms is saying is, look, the one that you thought was worthless is extremely important. The thing that you just threw aside as not worth your time, the thing you rejected is the most important stone in the building. So why did the religious leaders reject it? I think it's for the same reason the vineyard workers rejected the servants and the son. They didn't like the idea of being stewards. They wanted to be owners. You see, the priests and the religious leaders, they were just stewards of God's presence. They were stewards of God's word. They were stewards of God's direction. They were stewards of God's people. They were stewards of God's temple. But when Jesus came, he came as the owner. Many times the Bible says he spoke as one with authority. They didn't like that. They liked having authority. They weren't going to yield the floor to him. And so they wanted to be owners, not stewards. They were so intent on owning and controlling something that was not theirs to own or control that they were willing to forfeit their lives. The workers were intent on owning the vineyard. The religious leaders were intent on controlling the work of God and the people of God. So my question for us this morning is what about us? What are we so intent on owning and controlling that's not ours that we are willing to sometimes forfeit our eternal lives? That are we sometimes in the position of the vineyard workers or the religious leaders of Jesus' day that we want to grip on so tight to something that is not ours to own or control that we end up forfeiting 
blessings that God gives us. Let me put it this way. I think you and I are called to be stewards of at least three things in this life. One, you are called to be steward of your life, your eternity. In other words, your life on this earth. It's not yours. It's something that God has given to you as a gift. What did you do to bring yourself into existence? It is a gift from God. Not only is the creation a gift from God, the Bible says in 1 Peter that you have been redeemed. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect or defect. And so what the Bible is saying is this, your life is not really yours. You're a steward of it. God has given you it to use for his glory and for his honor. He's purchased it with the blood of Jesus Christ. But I think some of us, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, one of the reasons is because we're afraid of letting go of ownership. We don't want to be stewards. We want to be owners. We want to be masters of our future. We want to control what happens. We, maybe you've thought about coming and following Jesus, but what you said is, look, I don't want to follow all those rules. Why, why should I do that? Why should I give up my control? Why should I give up my control of my life? Why should I do that to follow some God? Maybe that's the case. And I think what it comes down to is we don't want to be stewards. We want to be owners. We don't want to admit that there's a God who not only created us, who redeemed us with the blood of Jesus Christ, who has some say over how we live our life and what we do with this life. I think one of the reasons that people reject Jesus today is because we don't want to be stewards. We want to be owners. And what we're doing is we're holding on to something that was never really ours to own. It was just ours to steward for God's glory and God's honor. Sometimes, I think that's why people reject Jesus. You're called to be steward of your life. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for one reason or another, I think this parable has a word for you today. Uh, Be careful to know what you're saying no to. You may think you're saying no to a set of rules. You may think you're saying no to some cosmic killjoy God. You may think you're saying no to a hot day in the sun sitting in traffic at an awful golf tournament where you're six deep and can't see but maybe maybe you're saying no to a loving heavenly father who prepared eternity for you maybe you're saying no to a first class event that has been prepared just for you personally maybe you're saying no to something wonderful and glorious I would just ask you this morning to just know what you're saying no to. Explore it. Look at what Jesus Jesus says. Look at what Jesus promised. Just know what you're saying no to. Don't take someone else's word for it. Because I believe what the Bible teaches is that God loves you. That God wants to be in a personal relationship with you. That God wants your best life for you. That God has a wonderful eternity in heaven prepared for you through his son, Jesus Christ. I believe that there are good things in store for you. Just know what you're saying no to. And if you want to reject that because you're so intent on being an owner and don't want to be a steward, You ought to know what you're saying no to. For those of you in this room who are Christians, I think as Christians, we are stewards of the opportunities that God has given to us. We are stewards of the opportunities that God has given to us. The Bible goes on to say this in the book of Ephesians. 
chapter 2. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus, it's important that you have made that one important pivot to follow Jesus. But every day of your life, I think you have the choice of being a steward or an owner. There are times in your life where God brings opportunities to you. God brings things in your life. He'll do it this week. He'll do it today. And you are going to have the choice. Am I going to be a steward or an owner? Am I going to hold so tight and, make, and, and force my will on the situation? Or am I going to obey the Lord and his direction? When you know that God has put you in a position maybe to take a stand for what's right. I don't know where it is. You're in a conversation at work or at school or in the neighborhood and someone brings up the conversation about Jesus and maybe they're making some comments or maybe they're, maybe they're uh, saying some things about born-again Christians or maybe they're saying some things about uh, Jesus and, and you know you have an opportunity to set things right. You know you have an opportunity to maybe take a stand. You know you have an opportunity to share Jesus maybe in that moment. You know that the door was open to you. But you know if you do it, they may not look at you the same way afterwards. But you know if you do it, you may be risking something in the way that people see you or look at you or I don't know, maybe you're risking some future opportunities at work or something. You never know. You, you know that if you do it, you're stepping out and taking a risk. And I just ask you this question in that moment, steward or owner? Will you be a steward of that opportunity or will you so grip with ownership, your reputation and what people think of you that you don't walk through the open door God has given you? Or maybe someone close to you has gone through a tragedy and you know that God is asking you to pray for that person but you've never been a real person of prayer in front of them. You don't even pray for your meal in front of them because you don't know how they're going to respond or react. But you know that God's saying you need to pray for that person right now, right here in the middle of this store, in the middle of this subway station, in the middle of this restaurant, in the middle of this workplace. God is calling you to pray for them. But you know if you do, that it's a bit of a risk. They may say no. They may laugh at you. They may say, I don't want your prayers. They say, what's wrong with it? I don't know. They may, all kinds, you know you're taking a risk. And in that quest, in that moment, I just ask you, steward or owner? Are you a steward of the opportunity God has given you? Or will you so take ownership that you will say, no, I'm going to control my life and my situation? Or do you walk through the door God has given you? Or you know that someone, God's brought someone into your life and they need some financial help and God has blessed you with the ability to help them. And they've hit a hard time and you know that they need some money to get them through. But the new iPhone's coming out. And you've been waiting for that new iPhone to come out. And you've got some money set aside for that new iPhone. Your old iPhone's fine, but the new one's coming out. But you know that person needs money to just get through the week or maybe make ends meet. And I just ask you in that moment, steward or owner, are you steward of that money that God has given you or are you the owner of that money that God has given you in that moment and in that time? Or maybe someone just shared something with you. You, were, you, were, you had a great night at home planned and you, you, you were going to go home and you were just going to have a nice relaxing night at home. Sit down and watch your favorite TV show. Have a cup of tea or whatever you do to, to, to relax. And, and you were going to sit down. You were just looking. It's been a hard, long week. And you were just going to relax. And someone comes to you at the end of the day on Friday and just dumps a mess in your lap. And you know. You know that what God's calling you to do in that moment is to stop everything and to spend time with that person 
and to love them and to give your time to them and to give your night to them and you know it's going to be hard work. You know listening and talking is going to be effort and you're tired. And I just ask you in that moment, steward or owner? The steward says, my time's not my own. And God, this is something God's calling me to do and I will give it for his glory. The owner at times will say, no, I'll do and exert my will in this situation. And, I, and it's steward or owner because know what you're saying no to. Maybe sometimes you sit and pray, God, would you use me? No, I'm, no I don't have time for you right now. God, I want to be used by you. No, I can't help you with that right now. What we may be saying no to is being used by God. What we may be saying no to is more intimacy with God and a closer relationship with God. I think the easier it becomes for us to say no to those holy nudges, you know those nudges? If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you know what I'm talking about. You know those nudges the Holy Spirit gives you? When, when he looks at you and he, you know, he, you just hear, feel the spirit in your heart and he says, go talk to that person. Go give to that person. Go be with that person. Make that phone call. Send that email. You know that nudge. And I think the more times we say no to that nudge, the easier it becomes and the more distance we put between us and God. And all I'm saying is, as Christians, know what you're saying no to. You may not be saying no to helping in that moment. You may be saying no to the desire to hear God's voice, to the desire for God to speak to you and you listen and obey. Just know what you're saying no to. Sometimes we reject things because we don't want to be the stewards. We want to be the owners. Finally, the third thing I think we're stewards of is we're stewards of the dreams that God has put in our hearts. You're stewards. The work that God has given you is one thing, but you are stewards of the work that God has called you to and the dream that he has put in your heart. And sometimes, whatever that dream is, whatever that uh, vision is that God has called you to, whatever that work is that God has called you to, whatever that ministry is where God has called you to, maybe it's serving children here at church, Maybe it's serving in a, in a soup kitchen. Maybe it's serving in a nursing home. Maybe it's serving one of your loved ones. Maybe it's God has given you some kind of vision, some kind of dream, some kind of important work. Maybe it's growing a ministry. Maybe it's reaching a certain people. Maybe it's going on a missions trip. Maybe it's going to another country. Maybe it's medical missions. I don't know what it is, but God has put something in your heart and you are a steward of that dream and of that work. And what that means is, you're not an owner. What that means is when you're tempted to quit and walk away, that you need to ask yourself, am I a steward or an owner of this vision and this work? Because if I'm an owner, I can close up shop and walk away at any moment. As soon as it gets hard. As soon as it gets difficult. You know, I think about this, this Belmont campus and the work and getting it off the ground and all the work. If we are owners of this vision, man, if it doesn't work out in the first couple months, let's close it up. Pastor Brian and Lori, come back to Burlington. Forget it. You know, it didn't. We gave it a shot. It didn't work. But if we are stewards of the vision, when it gets hard and it's difficult, we stay there because it's not our dream. It's not our hope. It's not our vision. See, when you're an owner and you, of it in the, in the sense of you can choose whether you quit or not quit. You can choose whether you close or open. But if you are a steward, I am subject to the owner's wish. He says, we keep going, we keep going. But it's hard. You keep going. But I don't know where the money's going to come from. You keep going. I'm tired. But people are mean. You keep going. Because you're not the owner. And you trust that that owner and that vineyard owner is good and gracious 
and generous and loving. But it's been a hard day and, and I don't know if I have the strength. You keep going. Because that's what God's called you to do. And I know this is sometimes the opposite of our thinking, right? Sometimes we think, well, the owners are the ones that have more responsibility, right? I, I know this is sometimes a little contrary to thinking. But the point in this parable is, the point in this parable is the steward, it's not in your control. It's in the owner's control. You are called simply to follow the directions of the owner. Not to reject him. Mark Batterson, a uh, pastor in Washington, D.C., pastors a church called National Community Church. Many of you um, may have read his book called Circle Maker on prayer. It's a great book on prayer. And I heard him speak a couple years ago, and he told a great story of when he was starting out at National Community Church. If you go to National Community Church now or their website, and they're in Washington, D.C., they've got several campuses and movie theaters and old buildings and all kinds of places. Thousands of people every week attend their campus. They have a coffee house on Capitol Hill that is the busiest coffee house in all of Capitol Hill, and all the prophets go to support missions and missionaries around the world, and it's an incredible work that God has done. But many years ago, it was Mark and 20 people in his basement. And he tells the story that there were many days when it was Mark and his wife and 20 people in the basement that he, at the end of the service, thought, why don't we just fold it up? Why don't we just quit? You know, well, it's, it's not working. We gave it a shot. In fact, he had already tried another church plant and it failed. And this was the second one. And things were running through his mind thinking, you know what? It's just like the last one. It's not going to work. And he was tempted to quit. But he knew that God was calling him to press on. And this is what he said. He said, if I had quit in that moment, what it would have looked like is it would have affected 20 people in that room. That's what he thought he would have been saying no to. The truth is, what he would have been saying no to is the thousands of lives, the tens of thousands of lives that are now being impacted by the gospel, the, the influencers in the Washington, D.C. area that are being impacted by the gospel presentation in that area. What it would have looked like, he was saying no to just 20 people in the basement who can find another church to go to in a second. But what he was really saying no to was a grand vision that God had planned. And you have a dream and a vision that God has called you to And you may think you're saying no to something small, just like the Pharisees. They thought, Jesus said, you're looking at it as a worthless stone. This is what you're rejecting. But what you look at as a stone that is worthless is of extreme and utter value. And what you may be looking at as something small and saying no, God may be saying, this is what I have for you. And will you be a steward of the vision? Will you be a steward of the opportunities? And will you be a steward of the life that I have given you? Let's pray this morning. Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I recognize, Lord, that... Recognize, Lord, that in this room there are many different people at many different places. And God, there are some of us, Lord, who may have a dream in our hearts and our lives and we're struggling to persist in it. We're struggling to continue in it. And we think if we quit, no one's really going to notice. Lord, I pray for that man or that woman that's in this room today, Lord, who has those thoughts that you would encourage them and strengthen them and let them know that you are the one who has called them. That you are the one who will sustain them. That we are not owners of the dream and the vision. It is not ours to decide when to quit and close up shop and give up. Lord, we look to you. 
You are the God. You are the Lord of our lives. And so I pray for the man or the woman who you have planted that dream in their heart that you would encourage them today, that you would strengthen them today, that you would, Lord, give them, Lord, give them a renewed sense of your call on their life. Breathe life into that vision. Father, I pray for the men and women who are here today who have had opportunities come up even this week and Lord, maybe have not walked through a door of opportunity, have thought that it was our decision whether we would share the gospel, have thought whether it was our decision whether we would give generously money to help someone, have thought that it was our time, that it was our life, that it was everything was ours. And we forget that we're stewards, not just of 10%, not just of Sunday. We're stewards of it all. It's yours, Lord. It's yours. I pray that that man and that woman will be bold this week in using their time and using their resources to serve you as owner of the vineyard. Because you're good and you're loving. And Lord, I pray for that man or woman who's in here today who's struggling to release ownership of their life. They've come before. They've heard the message again and again and again, but they've never taken that pivotal step of turning their life over to you. God, I ask this morning that you would draw them to yourself. And if that's you here this morning and you want to take that step to Jesus, you want to release ownership of your life. He didn't make it complicated. All it is is a prayer away. All it is is you putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be the owner of your life, taking your hands off the steering wheel, asking God to be the driver of your life, confessing that without him, salvation is impossible, that you need him, confessing what you and he already knows, that you're a sinner in need of his grace. I pray that if you've never done that before, that even this morning, right now, that you would do that and know this, that when you do, you're saying yes to a heavenly father that loves you. You're saying yes to forgiveness of your sins. You're saying yes to freedom from your guilt and your shame. You're saying yes to a future and a hope. You're saying yes to an eternity in heaven with the Lord. And I pray that it's, if that's you in, your mo in this moment that you will just let God know that you want him to be the owner and the leader of your life and the Lord of your life now. Father, Forgive us for the times in our lives where we have not known what we were saying no to. I pray that as we leave this place and as we close our service out in worship, Lord, that we would leave this place as people who say yes to you. Yes to living our lives for you. Yes to every opportunity you give us to glorify and honor you and share your love with our neighbors and our coworkers. Yes to every dream and every hope that you've put in our heart, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close our service out and worship this morning. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart, and you're the one that guides my heart.
Just a reminder, this Wednesday evening, we'll have our normal midweek ministries here at the church. It's also our sectional night of prayer. Details are in your bulletin. That event takes place in Malden if you'd like to join us there. Also, I'll mention quickly, you know we have a great school here at Mount Hope of almost 300 students. It's a great school led by Mrs. Driscoll, Mrs. Truji. On Tuesdays in March, the Not Your Average Joe's in Burlington, if you eat there on a Tuesday, please mention Mount Hope. We get a proceed uh, of some of the revenues. So if you're there on Tuesday this month, please mention Mount Hope and support our school. And as you go this morning, let's go saying yes to God and all that he asks us to do. God bless you as you go today.